The following program contains scenes and language of a frank and explicit nature. Viewer discretion is advised. I am the music guy CJ Payne, and you're listening to The Noise Report. This is where we have fun, we laugh, we joke around, and we interview lots of amazing people from across the spectrum of music, movies, pop culture, and all this other fun crap. Uh, If you like to laugh, have fun, and just uh, giggle like a wild juvenile, uh, keep listening, and welcome to The Noise Report. Today on another episode of The Noise Report, I'm the music guy CJ Plain, and this is another episode where we're going to kind of go off script of the whole music thing, kind of, and uh, try to venture out, spread our wings a little bit, uh, more than just music and random stuff. Um, This gentleman... Uh, I, I put a thing on this site called, uh, I think it was called, it's what, Pod, Podcast Guests? I That's think. the one. Yeah, because I, I, I have one there and I have one on Guestio. And um, this gentleman said, I'd like to appear on your show. And it took me a minute to get back to him because I frankly expected about four or five people to reply back. And I got up almost 200. And it kind of, like, blew my mind. Um but anywho, this is Mr. Eric Paul Erickson, uh, otherwise known as the Angry Viking. And that is the main reason I had to have him on the show, because as soon as I read that, I was like, I got to know the story of that. And um, that and his, his resume is pretty ridiculous, man. Like, you are a busy-ass dude. Like... <laughs> I try. It keeps me out of trouble. That's, That's such a bullshit lie right there. Right. <laughs> the more I do, the more trouble I get into. That's just right. a fact. See, that's what I used so, to. That's what I used to tell my wife. Is she's like, "Why do you do this? You don't make any money doing it." And I was like, "It's an expensive hobby. It keeps me out of trouble." And she's like, "No, it doesn't." And I was like, "All right." Fine, it doesn't, but let's just say it does, okay? <laughs> I haven't gone to prison, so it keeps me out of trouble. Um, um, start with giving a small background on yourself and kind of where the angry Viking thing comes from, because... Oh, God, you just want to go right to the stories. Um, so, so I came up as... Uh, I've worked as an actor, as a writer, a journalist. Um, I even worked in politics a little bit. So nice. I've had a lot of adventures. My life has been just, I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. Yep. When it comes to adventures, like I've, I've done it all and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back and undo any of it. It's been wonderful. So, yeah. um, written for the Chicago Tribune. I've been in nice. movies. I've, I've written books of screenplays, um, just done all this fun, fun stuff. Um, but to answer your question about the angry Vikings, so uh, my family's really into genealogy. Okay. So we, we know a lot about our family tree. And um, Erickson is kind of a Viking name. Yes. Kind of figure that out. Uh, so we know that we are actually descended from the Viking um, dynasty. So if you've ever seen the show uh, the Vikings, the one on History Channel, 
people love that show. They get into it. They're, they're like, this is so cool. But for me, those are home movies. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm, I'm literally descended from Rollo. He is one of my ancestors. So oh, when nice. I watched it, it's I'm watching home movies. You know, nice. when they when they kill someone and chop off their head, I'm like, oh, grandpa, way to go. So, <laughs> nice. uh, so I did uh, one of the things that I did for a while was stand up comedy. Um, I did it for a couple of years and my act was all about kind of my heritage and and you know if you're white you have my forefather's blood running through your veins you know that kind of thing and um it was a little angry it was a little loud it was kind of a kinnison kind of like nice. all of that so so i was on stage one night my buddy ronnie ray was the host and i, I did my gig and he walked out on stage and ronnie goes wow that was one angry motherfucking Viking. And I went, and I went, I like that. I like that a lot. So I lost the curse and uh, I kept it and it's worked really well for me, you know, cause I'm proud of my heritage. I'm yeah. proud. You know, some people are like you, you raped, you pillaged, you killed. I'm like, all right. Yeah. So we did, but yeah. it's still, you know, we have cool beards and hair, you know, right. what, what are you going to, you can't take that away from me. It's... So, so that's where it came from. That's the whole story behind it. <laughs> It's funny how names or nicknames come along. Um, me, I was raised in the front seat of a Peterbilt truck. My dad is 72 years old this year, and he is in his 52nd year of driving truck. Really? So was my dad. My dad was a truck driver, too. And, he, had um, a Peter, he had a Peterbilt as well. Yeah, so. and uh, this is the only awesome. job my father has ever had is a truck driver, and... The running family joke is, as when my dad dies, we're not buying a casket. We're just going to put him in the front seat of the truck, have my buddy Trey come over with the backhoe, big a big asshole, and we're just going to, you know, push the truck with the backhoe right down into the hole and cover it up, you know, because that was his whole life. Um, but I grew up in the front seat of that truck. Yep. In the 70s, you know, we didn't have computers, cell phones, none of that. We just had music and books. That's all I had to entertain myself. So I would spend hours looking at the inserts of the cassette tapes, looking at the backs of records. And because of that, I have this utterly insane knowledge of music. Like Bob Seger, Nine Lives, I can tell you, was recorded April 24th, 1974 in Yosemite, Michigan, at Sonic Room Studios, produced by Bob Marlette, co-produced by Steve Sakar. Uh, it's just this dumb knowledge. In seventh grade, in music class, my teacher said something about Ted Nugent. I said, no, you're wrong. And she's like, well, I'm not wrong. And I proved to her that she was wrong. And she's like, well, aren't you just a little music god? And after that, it just stopped. Like, everybody, that's what they knew me for, is just music. I was the music god. Um, so <laughs> it has stuck with me my entire life. And... um that's it's, not a bad nickname. No, it, it's really That's not, not a because bad one at all. It, it's it's been my whole life basically. Like yeah. since I was sixteen years old, music in some form is what I've done. Either being in a band or promoting music, or uh, I was a bus driver for a while. Four bands. I drove semi for a while. I'm kind of like you. I've done a little bit of everything. I've managed an yeah. Arby's. I've worked on a dairy farm. I've worked in a wood mill. Um, you know, I've worked in a factory. 
I've done whatever was necessary to pay the bills. Yeah. <laughs> um, it hasn't always been fun, but you got a roof over your head and food in your belly, then I guess at the end of the day, that's it is what it is, you know? Yeah, but um, isn't, isn't life about experiences, though? Yeah, I mean, it is. You know, and, you know, that's what I think. Yeah, because that, and it, and you bring that to whatever you do, whether yes. whether you are a writer or an actor or a podcaster or whatever. Yes, um, your experiences are what you bring into. I mean, come on, admit it. You've listened to some podcasts where the people like have absolutely no life experience, and it your ears start bleeding. It's painful. really painful. And uh, but but I'll, I'll say I, I give so much credit to anybody who goes out there and does a show. Mm-hmm. You know that takes guts to get out there, but. You know, it's people who don't find their niche or people who don't, you know, really, they want to be this, but they should be that. And they won't admit that, you know, they should be that versus this. And if we had video, you could see me moving my hand back and forth (laughs) as I say this, this, that. Um, You know, I interviewed David Fishoff on my show. Do you know who David Fishoff is? Um, No. The The name? I might. The name doesn't sound familiar. So David founded Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. Okay. Where everybody yeah, yeah, goes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, he uh, he was the manager for Ringo Starr for the Eagles. He was the manager oh, nice. for. Um, he's the one who brought the Monkees back in the nice. in the late eighties. Love the Eagles. You know? Yeah. So I mean, he talks about you know your love of music. I mean, he's right there with you. But it's yeah. about the 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 anarchy of it a little bit, and it's how yeah. you can be a fifty year old and still have the See? fun of being a kid. You know. And that's, it out in all of us. and that's me. Like, I do music. I have, I have a internet radio show that I do aside from the two podcasts, um, and the one that I do. It's Motor City Glam Slam. It's all like '80s hard rock, glam sleaze, that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. what messes people up? They know me for that. But a lot of them, if you don't really know me, don't know that I have an extreme knowledge of hip hop. I have an extreme knowledge of reggae, of country, Americana, bluegrass, and I have all these crazy stories that are attached to these music of how I learned about them. You know, bluegrass music for years. I grew up, once I was too old to travel with my dad, I had to go to school. So I stayed with my grandfather. And my grandfather had an old clock radio in the kitchen. First thing you heard when you woke up in the morning was grandpa in the kitchen cooking breakfast, listening to that old clock radio, old AM station, you know, Farron Young and Hank Sr. and Hank Snow and all of those guys. And it was classic country. As a teenage kid, I was more into rock and metal, so I didn't pay a lot of attention to it. Um, He would listen to this dumb show every Friday night called the Renfro Valley Barn Dance. It's from the Ren- it's from Renfro Valley, Kentucky. It was this big ass barn dance that they had. It was bluegrass and all of that, and they would broadcast it, you know, over radio. It was a syndicated show. And we went to Georgia to my uncle Bob's one time, and coming home, Grandpa had to drive eight hours out of his way to see Renfro Valley. And at twelve years old, I was like, "Are you fucking serious? Like, you're seriously going to drag us?" Through Buck Crack, Kentucky, to see some fucking barn, you know. And we get there. Of course, it's Friday night. They're holding the barn dance, so Grandpa has to see the barn dance. And I'm sitting in the car. I'm just kind of like, <sighs> you know, I was like, man, this is bullshit. Like, 
after about an hour, I'm bored out of my mind. I wander in just to get something to drink. And as I'm in there getting something to drink, I'm watching the band out of the corner of my eye. And it's like guitar fiddle, guitar dobro, guitar mandolin. And I'm watching them and I'm like, and it was just this epiphany, like, holy shit. And I go to my grandpa and I was like, I get bluegrass now. And he's like, what do you mean you get it? I was like, it's just heavy metal for hillbillies. <laughs> and he's like, what? And I was like, the guitar trading leads with the bass trading leads. I thought, it's guitar solos just on different instruments. It's it's heavy metal for hillbillies. And I after that, I've loved bluegrass music because that's what I connect it with. Like, bluegrass how, how is... Old, go, do how what? old were you when that happened? How old were you when I was that about happened? 12 years old. Okay. It would have been around 1983, 1984. And um, right. I, I connect it now. When I hear bluegrass, I think... This is Van Halen for hillbillies, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's dumb stories like that of of why I had but this. That's, that's one of those things is if you talk to – so I used to work for um, Clear Channel. Okay. So I used – so back in the day. So, so when I was in college, the guy who – I went to the school of theater at USC. Okay. And the guy who was our technical director at the, the, at the college – Mm-hmm. He also worked at a venue here in Los Angeles called the Wiltern Theater. Okay. The Wiltern Theater is this absolutely beautiful Art Deco uh, proscenium theater for, that holds for, a couple. Very familiar people. with it. Okay. okay I, so I spent it. I spent time in L.A. Uh, I okay. was at, when I was thirteen. Uh, shortly before that, my dad sent me to L.A. and it was right when Sunset Strip was exploding. Oh yeah. So yeah, I went from day. being this that. firm kid who. Um, was pretty much a, a a devotee of like Rick D's and Casey Kasem, top forty stuff. Okay. And when we got to L.A., Mom bought me this stereo. Going through the channels, KNAC was the first thing I I found, and it, <laughs> it didn't change after that. It was like, oh, what the hell is this? Like I'd never heard anything like that. Yeah. And three months later, I went back to Michigan. When I got to the airport. I had this suitcase and put it through the thing and the guy opens it up and he looks at me and he's like, the hell is all this? And I was like, it's cassette tapes. And he's like, why do you have a suitcase full of cassette tapes? Because I had sat like we used to do, we'd put the cassette in and you'd record it off the radio. I had had recorded hundreds of those things and instead of taking clothes back, because I already had clothes in Michigan... My suitcase was stuffed full of these old mixtapes that I had made off of KNAC. And got back to Michigan, and I brought all this music that hadn't made it to the Midwest yet. So, like I said, I'm familiar because I spent a lot of time just so wandering were, around so you, Sunset Strip. So you Strip. know that venue, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Gazaris and, and uh, yeah, all of them. Yeah, I um, remember I used to go, I used to go to the um, Rainbow. Whiskey, the whiskey, I'd go to yep. the I have a friend who's actually a bartender at the Rainbow Room nice. now. Um, I used to go to the Viper Room like yep. every week. Uh, the whiskey, uh, where else did I go? If I remembered them, I wouldn't have really been there. It's like, it's like, yeah, yeah. And um, I was just getting ready to say, I was like, if yeah, you remember the 80s, you weren't really band. there. <laughs> what band? I don't know. 
you know. But the other thing is because I worked at the Wilter and I got to see everybody from backstage because right. I was uh, I was a stage carp and um, nice. worked production and some other things. Um, the reason I brought it up was like you were talking about bluegrass. It's just mm-hmm. heavy metal for for hillbillies. So, like you could sit down with. Uh, any artist and, mm-hmm. and I had the I was lucky because I got to sit down with some really great ones and, and just you know shoot the shit mm-hmm. and and you know you would they would talk about music I remember having um, an amazing co- a conversation with Joe Satriani and sitting with him and just talking about music and some of these other guys and they'd say anybody who sits there and tries to tell you oh well you know you just like this kind of music and everybody like that, everything else sucks or whatever no, you sit Drives down and talk to a nuts. real musician. They appreciate everything. Drives me nuts. Everything, and that's why I bring up. I brought out David Fish off. Uh, yeah. he's got this movie that's out there. If you haven't seen it, it's called um, Rock Camp, and it's a documentary about Fantasy Camp. Okay. and it's this amazing, amazing story about a couple of people who go to the camp and they've been going for years. And one guy's got like a he's got a kid with uh, a brain injury, so it's very. Um, emotional for him but he, he they interview all the artists mm-hmm. and every one of those artists like talks about their love of music and it's not love of rock and roll it's not yeah. love of heavy metal it's the love of just playing music and and appreciating what yeah. everybody's doing and it's so i get so jazzed just thinking about it it's such yeah. a great film you get so inspired about all of that you know it's, yeah i mean music uh, is <laughs> You know the funnest thing about little the funnest thing about music to me, um, whatever you love, that's fine. Like, look, you don't have to like a band; you merely have to. My rule of thumb is: there's a lot of stuff that I don't like, but I will respect it based on what they've done. I am not a Rolling Stones fan. The Stones are a band that just kind of escape my grasp of why people love them but 60 plus years as a band millions and millions of record sales speaks for itself so i respect the stones for what they've done and what they've accomplished and i don't have to like the stones i don't like eminem i eminem is someone that just is like fucking nails on a chalkboard to me but look emma's done what emma's done Okay, so M gets respect based on what M has done. I don't have to like him. If somebody likes him, great. I like stuff that I'm sure people are going to look at me and be like, eh, you know, um, young boy. Well, you're wearing a Pink Floyd shirt. Pink Floyd is my favorite band of all time. Okay. <laughs> um, new artist, Youngblood. I love Youngblood. There's something okay. about that kid that just screams rock and roll to me. Like, if Joe Strummer came was reincarnated i think it would be youngblood like he just has that joe strummer everything he has that attitude and that cockiness and that he just i love the kid and a lot of people don't like youngblood for various reasons that's fine you know that's the beauty of music of there's so much of it that there's plenty out there to love you know. Especially now, yeah. Especially now, where the the playing field's been kind of leveled. Yeah. Well, the play the playing field's been leveled in some ways. Right. Everybody can you can get an album out if you want to get an album out. Yeah. You know, you may get lost in the desert because of promotional stuff because you right. have the big big studio or big labels behind you. 
Um, the sad thing is, you know, there used to be the dick. You know, we miss touring. Yeah. We, I mean, we have concerts now, but it's like, uh, ah, yeah. we're not back to normal yet. You know, it's it's well, whatever. It's, but remember, remember the old days in the band? Yeah. Like the kid would go on tour, and that's yeah. where they, they, they learned their chops, man. Yeah. You know, figuring out how to entertain an audience, and that's where they really work their songs. I tell people, you know, it's the pro and the con flip sides of the same coin. The positive is everybody can anybody can do a record. The con, unfortunately, anybody can do a record. You know, yeah. so you yeah. end up with people who shouldn't be you know within five hundred yards of a microphone. But yeah. you and also you still have the ones who are anointed. You still have the the ones who are anointed by the corporate know. entity. Yeah. And they're like, this is going to be the new million dollar seller. And some of yeah. them are good. And other ones are just like, yeah. like, I'm sorry, Megan Thee Stallion. I don't get her. Like, I, I, and I, I don't either. I, I don't think this, I, what's the song that everybody went crazy? Um, wow. I, like, I don't I, get I, her. I, I don't get Cardi like, I don't even B. Think it's lyrical. I don't get a lot of the new rappers. Hip hop wise for me, I'm very old school. I like the very mental, cerebral type hip hop. I love KSR. Like, give me an example. Give me an example. I love KSR One. I love Vinnie okay. Paz, Apathy, Diabolic. Um, I get a kick out of Chris Webby just because Webby says just completely outrageous shit. Uh, Hobson. I love Hobson. I'm I'm loving his slow transition from being the hip hop artist to an actor like he's doing yeah, with dude, the that's some deep cuts you got going there <laughs> dude i'm i that's the thing like i listen to this music and people are like how the fuck do you know so many genres i just do i that's what i do you know and yeah. um I, i'm the same way with movies i i have this dumb knowledge of movies and i love movies that i love pulling up movies that um Horror movie, you know, people would Chucky, Michael, Jason. I was like, "Have you ever seen Pieces from 1982? If you love horror, you got to see Pieces." Oh, what is that? That's the greatest movie ending of any movie ever created, ever. And they're like, "No way!" And then they watch it and they come back and they're like, "Holy shit, dude! What the fuck was that?" And I was like, "I'm telling you, greatest movie ending of any movie ever. How they thought of it, I don't know." But it's just so off-the-wall, bizarre, and unexpected. You don't see it coming. And it's one of them endings in pieces that I've watched it over a hundred times. And I could watch it right now. And I still will forget that goddamn ending is coming. And it'll just catch me totally off guard. You know? Um, yeah. I'm not, a big, I'm not a big horror fan. I'm a big fan of, like, um, like, bad, like B-movies. Like, yeah. bad like 1950s, 19, you know, that's mystery science theater kind of stuff. Like that's that. me with action movies. That. That's me with action movies. I love. You've probably seen some of the bad movies that my I, friends and I have made. Probably. I'm <laughs> sure I probably have. I love a good shoot 'em up cheesy B movie. Um, if it's got Bruce Willis, Dolph Ludgren, or Scott Atkins in it, I've probably seen it. Yeah, um, Scott. Yeah. I, know, I have friends who made movies with Scott. Um, yeah, so you've probably seen my friends. Yeah. I, <laughs> I will say this, and people are going to hate me for saying this. I am probably the only person on earth that can make the claim that I have sat through every singer Uvi Bowl movie. <laughs> 
Most people wow. would never admit that because Uvi, God bless his heart, that guy is a horrible filmmaker. So, so Postal, John, what was the other one he did? Oh, yeah, he's done Postal, like he's done The Resident, um, or the uh, Blood... Uh, Blood Rain, Blood Rain movies. He's what done. What was the one with the? What was the one with the German actress? The like, she was in the leather suit. She was like a Blood Rain. larger actress. That was Blood Rain. And was then that there Blood was Rain? A, yeah, there was it was Blood Rain, and then there was like she was a like she was a, a larger actress. Yeah, well, that not, was not, that was a spoof of Blood Rain. I can't oh, think I thought, of what it was. Was that him? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He did he did Blood Rain and Blood Rain Two. Then he did the spoof of it. Then he did Blood Rain Three, and Blood Rain Three was so bad. I wrote an email because the opening scene in Blood Rain 3 is it's set as a Western and why they jumped from the 1940s during World War II back to the Old West escaped me. Um, But it has this person running down Main Street and the cameraman is running behind them. Now, they're not using... Any of this stuff that you would normally use, they're carrying it in their hand. So as they're running behind the actress, you can see the camera just doing this. And I was like, Jesus Christ, have you never heard of a fucking stabilizer? Like, my God. (laughs) It looks like they're riding a goddamn horse holding a a camera in their hand. And it's like, fuck. But that's why I love Uvi. Because Uvi does the... He breaks every rule of filmmaking. You know, yeah. uh, tunnel rats, for example. I don't think they used a single light the entirety of tunnel rats. It's so dark. You can barely, it's like looking at a black screen for almost a whole goddamn movie. Yeah. But, you know, you watch Uvi Bowl movies, just, it's like a train wreck. You're just yeah. kind of looking for the dead bodies. Well, she's such a, he's such a character, too, yeah. in real life. Like, you know. who was it he challenged to a fight? Like, there was a oh, boxing um, match that he, like, challenged somebody to. Yeah, I can't even remember who it was. It was, I um, forget who it was. It was, like, another director. Or yeah, it was, um, That's I can't even the, think of what it, what, what blows my mind is how he gets the movies to continue making these things. Like, well, you know how he, it's the German film. He gets it from uh, German film investments. Oh, he had is that a whole what it thing is? that he did where he was using the German. God damn it. What was it? It was. For a while, the Germany had this incredibly good film tax scheme. Oh, okay. Like, this Europe, European scheme. Not like it was a crime thing, but like right. this whole scheme. Where literally you could make a movie for pennies because so much of the tax money came back. So he right. was. He was making these movies for nothing, but because he was like, he might get, I mean, making up numbers, but like he might get a million dollars. Right. And the movie might cost a million dollars, but 800,000 of it was covered by the German film fund. So it literally, nice. he only had to come up with $200,000. You know, it was this nice. crazy scheme. That's why he was able to turn these things out. Yeah. Um, why a lot of them had German themes, too. Oh, okay. Look at them. I will oh, wait, admit. Who did you write the email to? Who did you write the email to? Oh God, I don't even remember. It was some film company. To him? No, it, it was supposed to be to him, but I. It was sent to like the only address I could find was like some film company or something that was supposed to be like representing him at the time or something. Um, I, I will admit, his rampage movies are actually not that bad. Like, there's something about those movies that they're just. 
They kind of hit home, and they're really not as bad as some of his other stuff, you know. But I love He's movies like that. Movies, man. He's I, making movies, so yeah. you can't. The That's the thing. thing. I just have to laugh, though. That's I, the, get, yeah. I get emails from fans, too. And and I use fans with quotes, right? Because I, I usually they're usually like drunken college students <laughs> who will like write me these emails like I just watched Jurassic Galaxy and I feel stupider now. You know, I'm like, why did you take the time, you know, to, to put down your 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 forty and like write me an email to tell me how much you hated the movie that I was in? You know, oh. and then no. I get other ones from like eight year olds who are like, you did a movie with dinosaurs. You're yeah. so cool. And I'm like, yeah. I'll take that. That's I'll- cool. I love just dumb, cheesy movies. Uh, there was one, I, I can't remember if it was from last year or the year before. It's called Velocipaster. Oh, I know that one. I know the people who made it. Yes. <laughs> and that movie, I just, it's another one. You just watch it and you're like, why the hell am I watching this, you know? But it's just one of the movies you just, you laugh at it and you kind of, but it's fun, you know? Um, you know I was in Snake Out of Compton, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so that's a perfect example yeah. of what you're talking about. Yeah. It's about a giant snake that the rampages only... through Compton. That's yeah. exactly up your alley. Um, <laughs> the only movie I've ever seen that I really, truly wanted to fight somebody over was the Aragon movie. Oh, I'm that one, like... such a massive fan of the books. Yeah. And I went to see that movie thinking, oh my God, I want to see this in film. And 20 minutes into it, I was in literal tears. I was ready to fight everybody. I went home and I emailed every single person that I could find attached to that movie. The director, Christopher Pellini, Barnes & Noble, Knopf Books, everybody, man. I was just, I was on Yahoo just firing off email after email. I was so angry about it because for two main reasons. One... The guy that directed that movie had spent his entire career as an effects specialist at Spielberg's ranch. He'd done Master and Commander. He'd done Star Wars. He'd done E.T. He'd done Terminator 2. There was no fucking reason that that goddamn movie was a disaster like that. Plus, the budget for that movie was $125 million. There was no reason for Aragon to look like they stole shit out of the Return of the Ewoks movie. Okay? That's what it looked like. It looked like they just raided the back lot of fucking Return of the Jedi and Return of the the fucking Ewoks movie. And just started putting shit everywhere. And let's just film this and film this. And, oh my god, it was so fucking horrible and... My my other sons, they so they read the books. I want to see the movie. I was like, no, you don't want to see the movie. We want to see the movie. I said, okay, I warned you. Watch the movie 20 minutes into it. One comes out, slams the door, and he's like, whose ass do I kick? And I was like, I tried to tell you, dude. <laughs> you know, we just... If you go into the Aragon movie with an open mind and just say, okay, I'm watching this based on nothing else than what I'm seeing on film... It's a good yeah. film. But if you associate it at all with the book, it's just the worst thing ever written. So Well you gotta you gotta wonder what happened. Because people don't I don't care what people yeah. say. They don't no one sets out to even bowl, no one yeah. sets out to make a bad movie. 
there's well, right. usually a reason. There was, to me, there was a disconnect somewhere. Like, he had never read the book, he didn't know the material, or something. Because there is just no reason. For example, at the end of the movie, he kills the Razak, which are a character that's alive in the fourth book of the series. Yeah. How the hell can you kill a character in the first book that's alive in the fourth book? It's usually an executive producer. They, they're usually the one that comes in and is like, ah, I don't like him. Kill yeah, him. you know, so um, let's get back on you. Open Road okay. Podcast. <laughs> I didn't mean to get completely open off. Open Highway. Open Highway. Oh, is it the Open Highway? I have Open Road. Open Highway. Open Highway Podcast. Tell us about that and some of the great guests you've had, uh, some of the more memorable stories or moments from that um so so i'm a for as i said at the beginning so i worked as a reporter uh-huh. um I, I was a reporter for the chicago tribune and, and the roswell daily record and freelancer and i've hosted radio shows and stuff and I'll, i love it i absolutely i've always loved interviewing people it's just you know just it's such joy yeah you know, just to get to know them and um so covid kicks in and I felt myself get dumber, quite <laughs> honestly. Just, just I felt really stagnant. Yeah. You know? And and I tried reading and and I started listening to podcasts and um, it got me to the point where I'm like, I gotta do something to kind of get my mojo back. I gotta do something to start learning again. And so I heard this, I heard this quote from of all people, Matthew McConaughey. Nice. And he was on. He was either on Russell Brand's show or Joe Rogan's show, and he was talking about when he was thinking about running for governor. Mm-hmm. And he was he was talking about how everybody's on the on this highway, and everyone's on. And somebody goes, "Man, you know, if you're in the middle of the road, you're going to get run over." And he's like, "No, man, the middle of the road is the place to be because everybody's on the shoulders. There's a lot of room in the middle of the road because no one's there." Right. And I kind of went, "Well, that's a cool idea." So I came up with the idea to open highway because I'm a big fan of road trips. And I'm like, nice. when you go on a road trip, you go into some diner and you sit at the counter. My, my dad was a truck driver like you. Yes. And he, was, uh, he wasn't the greatest guy in the world, and I didn't get a lot from him. But one thing I learned from him is you always sit at the counter. Nice. Always sit at the counter. And the reason is because that's where you meet the cool people and you get better service. But you Sometimes, sit at that counter, yeah. you have a cup of coffee, you meet some guy who maybe is a farmer, you meet somebody who's a cop, or you meet somebody who's a salesman, or somebody who does something you don't know anything about. Yep. And that's where you have these amazing conversations, and you get to know people, and you learn things about yourself and about other people. So I wanted to bring that to a show. So I came up with the idea of the open highway. So it's this place where we can have open conversations. It's kind of like what you do. Um and I really, I get really lucky because I've got some great guests um, because they respond to the fact that I'm a former journalist. And I think for better or worse, they take that as a good thing. Um, I don't know if it is, but they, uh, they seem to come on. So like my, one of my first guests uh, was a friend of mine, Cat uh, Waters, who's a former WWE diva. Nice. So like she, she came on and you'd think we'd talk about wrestling the whole time, but we ended up talking about like gender issues and we talked about like her upbringing and, and some of the things she's into and, and her life. And it just went from there, man. I had, um, I told you about David. Um, uh, I had Mark, Mark Hall Patton from Pawn Stars was on there. Nice. The beard, the beard of knowledge, you know, and, uh, Matthew Ho was on there. Who's a former state department official from Afghanistan who famously quit in protest of the war. 
Uh, we talked for three hours. I had to split it over two shows. <laughs> I have uh, done that. <laughs> it was nuts, man. It was crazy, but it was it was fascinating. And I look at it as like, if I'm going to learn something, if I enjoy this conversation, people, other people are going to find something interesting in it. And yeah. The really the thing, and you you got to tell me like with your experiences with this. So I've done I've been a guest on a lot of ho- uh, podcasts mm-hmm. and radio shows, and I always have to come on if it's for a specific project. You come on, you're like, well, here's the movie I'm talking about, and here's this. Oh, tell me about filming. Tell me about that. Da 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 da. da. I, I get bored with that. Yeah. You know, and and I have friends who are actors too, and they do the same thing. And, and I have friends who have do podcasts, and they just it turns into a promotional show. I'm like, ah, I don't want to do that. I want to have a conversation. And I bring these people on, and it's for like the first 20 minutes. A lot of it's like, oh, well, here's their stock answer about this. Here's their <laughs> stock answer about that. Here's the, and they run out of shit to say. And that's when I'm like, yeah, here I come. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I go in there, and I'm like, let's talk. So, like, Mark Hall Patton's a good example. So, for, like, the first 20 minutes, we talk about the history of Vegas. And then he got distracted because his phone rang. And he got thrown to the side. And we just started having this amazing conversation about other stuff. We started talking about Japanese internment camps. Yes. We talked about roadside attractions. We talked about how much he hates cell phones. We talked about UFOs. We talked about all this stuff that you never would have thought the beard of knowledge would talk about. And that's what I enjoy about these, these shows is just yeah. having that real back and forth. And people always at the end, they're always like, wow, that was fun. And I'm like, good. Like, you should have had a good time. If you didn't, you shouldn't be doing this. You know, so it's been a great experience. You know, we're some really amazing people. Um, I just interviewed uh, Kai Henderson, who's a reporter, journalist. Uh, he had a cover story on this month's Men's Journal. Okay. Um, so we had about the end of California. Like, is California become a place that's unlivable? Is it a place, you know, everybody's moving out? Is it right. the end of the glory days? You know, so we talked about that, but we also talked about journalism and some other stuff. You know, it's like yours. It's like, it's like, where's the train going to go, man? Yeah. Where's it going <laughs> to You know, I have, oddly enough, on this computer right here to my, because I, I, I operate like three different computers for different reasons. This one right here, I have notes, pages and pages of notes. I've had a book idea for the longest time and I've never fleshed it out and I've never actually done it because I don't really have the financial backing to go out and spend the time doing it. But mentioning the truck driving thing and the counter thing and all of that, um, the idea for the book is everything I've learned in life, I've learned at a truck stop. That's a scary thought. Well, I spent <laughs> I spent the first seven years of my life basically living in a Peterbilt truck. We didn't even have a house. We lived in a truck, and we just went from place to place. And, you know, truck stops were the hub of everything we had to do, to, to shower, to eat. To, that's like you said, you sat at the counter and you had conversations. And I met a couple really famous people at – I've told this story before – I was seven years old. Shortly before I went to my grandpa's house, I met Jerry Reed. Oh, wow. He spent it down. Yeah. Um, we were in Tennessee just before we hit Kentucky. And we pulled into this truck stop. And as we come around the back side of it, there's a semi there. And I was like, Dad. And I was, he's like, what? And I was like, there's a snowman's truck. 
And of course, my dad's reaction was like, oh, it's just somebody who likes smoking in the band that has a truck painted. And okay, yeah, it, logic would tell you it was. So we go in and we go in and, you know, we come in down the little side thing and we come into the restaurant and we sit down and we're waiting for the waitress to come over. I, I got to go to the bathroom. Dad says, it's over there. So I go to go to the bathroom and as I come around the corner of the booth, as I come down in the back of the restaurant, sitting in a corner booth, is Jerry and about nine other guys. And I stop. And I spin around and I run back to the table and I was like, Dad, Jerry Reed's in the back of the restaurant. Dad's like, oh, it's not Jerry. He's like, it's just somebody who looks like Jerry. I'm like, no, it's Jerry Reed. Dad's like, it's not Jerry Reed. There's no possible way Jerry's in this fucking restaurant. And I was like, okay. I'm on my way back to the bathroom. As I get to the table, fuck it. I'm stopping. And I stop at the table like this. And he's like, can I help you, son? And I was like, are you Jerry Reed? And he's like, yes, I am. And I was like, I knew it was you. He's like, my dad said it wasn't you. And he's like, where's your dad? And I was like, he's over there. Jerry stands up, takes his hat off, and yells across the truck stop. He's like, son, come on over here and have dinner. My dad stands up, and his eyes are about this fucking big around. And he's like, holy shit, it's Jerry Reed. And I'm standing there, and my dad is just like, you son of a bitch. So we had dinner with Jerry Reed. And was he shooting something? They were shooting like, Smokey and the Bandit. Truck? They were shooting Smokey and the Bandit 2. 2, okay. They were away from catering, filming the truck scenes, and they got hungry. So they stopped to refuel the truck and have dinner. <laughs> People don't realize how, like, I try to, ex- I'm a huge yeah. Smokey and the Bandit fan. Yeah. At least one and two. We won't talk about three or the <laughs> other one. Um, so, people don't realize how big that movie was. Yeah. Like how they just they don't they don't understand like the the CB culture mm-hmm. entirely in the s- late seventies early eighties more than seventies they they have no idea how big that was yeah. and how much it changed film and culture and how yeah. we all wanted to be you know and then you and I are like we have our dads who are real truck drivers yeah and we're like really like no it's not like that but still it's like come on dad out race the cops no we're not going to do that. <laughs> I, but it was huge. People don't know that. Yeah. But my, my idea for the book is because there is, there are still not a lot, but there are still a few people like my dad. The old school gear jammer mm-hmm. types that were around long before e-logs and all of that. Yeah. And I would love to just travel around the country going to truck stops and finding these guys. And just sitting with them and listening to the stories that they tell. Because I remember the stories. I remember being seven years old, sitting at the counter, sitting at a table with 12 or 13 other truckers telling stories about the cat house and about this and and this. And they don't take into account that there's a seven-year-old kid sitting at the table. Oh, God, no. You're a ghost. So, (laughs) you know, I can see. I got in so much trouble. When I finally started school, my friends would come in and be like, knock, knock. And I'm like, knock, knock. What kind of joke is that? Would you got a better one? Uh, let me tell you the one about Hurricane Gussie. What? So I tell a story about Hurricane Gussie, and the teachers are standing in the They're flipping out. No seven- or eight-year-old should be telling the story of 
you know, the truck stop prostitute. And lot lizards. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, not a lot lizard so much. She worked in an actual brothel. Um, you know, uh, the rectum stretcher joke. That was one that always oh, God. just had teachers. How inappropriate. Yeah, well, that was. Oh, I, how at eight years old, take it really old school. I don't know how old you are, but you may or may not recognize this name. By the time I was eight years old, I could pretty much quote every Gene Tracy joke that Gene Tracy yeah. had. Yeah, yeah. So, old to know. yeah. So, <laughs> those were the jokes that I told, and teachers hated me. Now, I could read above everybody because I spent so much time reading and writing in the truck. So they wanted me in the class because I had the highest marks. But I was the unruly kid that the first time you said something, I'd turn it into a joke or I'd turn it into a smart remark or I'd make the teacher look stupid. So then I spent more time in the hallway than I did in class because I wouldn't shut the fuck up mostly. Um, But I want... That's the idea for my my book is I want to go around, whether it's a book or whether it's a YouTube channel or whatever, I want to go around and I want to sit with these guys and I want to hear their stories because there's well, not a lot. It, yeah, I was going to say that exactly where you're going. Like there's not a lot of them left. Exactly. There really you know, isn't. And breed. the knowledge, the stories that they would have. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, it's like a whole generation of Sam Elliott's and... People like that, like, you know, people love Sam because Sam is that rugged type. He's that kind of old school gruff type. And that's what the old truckers are. You know, my dad, I can tell you stories of the dumb things my dad did. You know, um, the time coming through Alabama where (laughs) he was smoking a joint in the truck and he seen the cop and he threw the damn joint out the window. So the cop gets in behind him, flashes his lights, dad pulls over, and he's like, shit. So he's fanning the air. The cop comes up, jumps up on the side of the truck. Dad rolls the window down. And the cop looks dad dead in his face and says, did you lose something? Dad says, no. Cop holds the joint up. The wind caught the joint, blew it back, and it landed on the windshield wiper of the cop car. Dad's looking at the cop like, I'm going to jail. I'm sitting in the thing looking at dad like, you're going to jail. And fortunately, the cop being an old Southern boy, he had a sense of humor. And there wasn't really enough left of it to make a mess over. So he told dad, you know, gave custom out and, you know, put him through the whole truck inspection thing and, you know, had us standing on the side of the damn road for two hours. But that was kind of the lesson is like, look, I could take you to jail, but I'm just going to make you stand here and lose two hours of time and, you know, fuck up your schedule and, and that kind of shit. Yeah. Um, he didn't want to deal with that truck and the paperwork. And well, right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and people don't know, again, going back to the trucker thing, they don't know when you hear truckers today, they deal with the state police. They deal with the highway patrol. They don't remember the days of the DOT. You know, Elmer Fudpucker, when he talked about the damn DOT. Those are days, there's a whole series of jokes about the DOT. So, you know, I really want to just, at some point, get that down and 
whether it's a book, whether it's a video series, um, I really want to explore that and and uh, put it out there because I think it's something that people take for granted. I you got to get on that though. Yeah, you got to get. I mean, even now they've been talking about how because they're having such a problem bringing new truck drivers in. Yeah, well, it's because of the because of the supply chain. But they're they're lowering the ages. They're they're considering lowering the minimum age of a of a drive. I want to say eighteen. It ain't. Um, don't quote me on that, but no. I know they're lowering it. Well, and and Dad was. I think Dad was about eighteen when he started. Um, but here's the thing: the reason they're having problems. I've I've driven truck myself. The problem isn't. The problem is not that there's a lack of people that want to do it. The problem is. Government controls, much like everything else, is completely out of fucking control. They micromanage everything with these new e-logs. You know, it used to be on a paper log. You know, you could take your paper log, and you'll know this. You know, you, you start your day here, and you go here. There's a little line. Right? And you, okay, you take a break. There you go. Bathroom break. There you go. Another break there. There you go. And you could just do it on paper, and you could take your breaks when you want it. The problem is, with these new e-logs, you have an 11-hour day. And when that clock starts in the morning, you have 11 hours from the time that starts. And you cannot turn that 11 hours off to go to the bathroom, to stop and take a nap. If you get tired four hours in, you can't just turn that off and say, I'm going to take a two-hour nap and then go from there. It keeps running. So they're putting people in danger because we have drivers out here who are fucking exhausted <laughs> driving when they shouldn't be driving. And yeah. even my dad hates it. He bitches constantly about these e-logs and about these, you know, mandatory, all these rules. Used to be everything was state controlled. Now everything is homeland security. Yeah. If you well, want you got other you got other troubles. I mean, that's like they're You've got that, and yeah. then you've got these other situations where people, it's basically they owe their store, they owe their soul to the company's store, mm-hmm. because they're getting, they're getting, the, they don't own the truck, it's being financed for them. Right. And the company they work for is financing it, but they, they're in such a whacked out financial deal that at the end of the month, they owe money to them, because they're supposed to be uh, right. making enough money, but they... There's this thing I heard about the other day. I don't know if you heard about it, but, like, they have this situation. So, like, here in L.A., the port of Long Beach mm-hmm. is where, where everything's backed up. And so mm-hmm. everybody automatically jumped on the truckers. And they said, okay, it's the truck driver's fault. They're not, we don't have enough of them. But then it came out. It wasn't. It's actually the port of Long Beach mm-hmm. is not getting them through. Right. Well, what people don't realize is if you work for one of these companies where they're financing your truck, you only get paid when you're on the run. Yes. You don't get paid while you're waiting to load the truck. Yes. So these 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 poor guys and poor women. I'm sure there's you know these poor people. Yes. More and more poor women. Drivers. Yeah. This trip. You know, shows my age right there. I apologize. Please don't cancel me. Oh no. Um, so, <laughs> but they're sitting at the port of Long Beach yeah. waiting for their loads. And what people don't realize is they're not getting paid for that. No, exactly. They don't get paid until they get put. And that's just, I'm not it's not every single company that works that way, but the no. ones where they have these finance deals, they don't get they get, overpay. Um, they don't get paid until they get something on their truck yeah. and they go start doing the run. So at the end of the month they may only have earned 
a thousand dollars, but yeah. they owe the company a fifteen hundred dollar truck payment. They have to come up with five hundred dollars out of their own pocket. Yeah, it's layover you pay, know? is what it is. And, and there are there's a lot of the companies, Pam, uh, CRST, um, CR England, um, Swift to a certain degree. Swift is pretty good about paying layover, actually. Um, yeah. Because since Swift merged with Knight Trucking, they are the biggest company now. They control, right now, Swift and Knight control about 58, about, I think it was 58.3 last time I looked, uh, percent of the total market for that. So they can afford it. But the smaller companies like CR England, they don't do layover pay. So, like you said, if you roll into a port, and they said, back your truck up here. Bam. Your truck is parked. Now, if that's 8.15 when you pull in there and that load isn't on your truck until 1 o'clock, you have not gotten paid between 8 and 1 o'clock. Right. So, again, you know, the one thing I think most people don't understand about trucking is time is money. If your truck is not moving, your truck is not making money. There's no other way to make money in a truck other than to have those wheels moving. <laughs> That's, That's the bottom line. It's, it's transportation. It's not yes. sitting and wait. So <laughs> if you are one of those lucky people that do get layover pay, you do get compensated for time and that kind of stuff. Or if you're one of them really lucky people who have weaseled your way into a company that pays you hourly, don't give up that job. <laughs> no matter how shitty you might think it may be, don't give up that job. You yeah. have got Willie's golden ticket, essentially, because those jobs are very rare. And um, I got out of trucking because I was doing flatbed and I had a chain snap and smack me across the forehead. Uh-huh. And... um didn't knock me out, but it caused frontal damage to my cortex or to my frontal lobe. Yeah. And um, now my impulse control is shit. You know, um, I have headaches and um, probably going to end up with um, whatever that crap is the football players get. With oh, the, C- CRE? Yeah. Um, yeah. I-, I was told there's probably a good chance I'll probably end up with that. So... That's something to look forward to. <laughs> <You know? Hey. laughs> um, let's talk about your book. There's a lot of injuries, though. There are a lot of injuries it's, uh, truck driving. People it, don't realize that. Yeah, it is a dangerous, dangerous job if you don't yeah. know what you're doing and you don't pay attention. And even then, the most careful drivers in the world, there are things that are utterly out of your control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've been on trucks my whole life. The chances of a five-eighth inch steel chain snapping on you are slim to none. These things are built for nuclear war. This one had somehow or another gotten pinched in a forklift thing between a steel roll and it had crimped one of the links on it. And I didn't notice it because the fissure on it where it created it was so small. I didn't see it with my eyes. And I torqued that fucker down and pow, there it come. And when it snapped, 
There was no getting out of the way, okay? It was that, bam, and then it was that. <laughs> and, Just wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, and was, yeah, there was yeah. nothing, it could have been me, my dad, or anybody else. It wasn't, this is what I tried to explain to the trucking company, well, you weren't paying attention. Do you think I intentionally set out to get a chain wrapped around my fucking head? <laughs> like, yeah. I had nothing better to do on Thursday afternoon than to, eh, you know what? Let's send a fucking head, more than a half-inch steel chain across my forehead. I uh, haven't felt that before, you know. It's, <laughs> That's more of a Tuesday thing. <laughs> you know, I don't really think it's a Thursday activity. You know, yeah. if it had been on Tuesday, they might have been like, okay. Yeah. Right. Let's talk we'll about Viking that. Dog Entertainment. <laughs> Okay. And, and your apparel, because I, I really oh. love, I really love the idea behind it and the what you're doing with it. Oh, thanks, man. That's uh, so. Are you talking? Are you talking about the wolf stuff or, yes. the, or the motivational stuff? The wolf okay, stuff. so yeah, so um, I've always been a fan of. And maybe it's my Viking heritage. There's this weird oh, I'm, like, I'm connection sure it is. <laughs> Vikings and wolves. Or I also grew up in the Northwest. So um, a few years ago, I had the, I had the chance to go out to a place called the Wolf Connection, which is out oh. in its, like, a bit north of L.A. And it's where they rescue, rehabilitate um, wolves and wolf hybrids. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, it's there's some that have been injured, some that have been injured from um, hunting. Uh, traps, you know, everything. And it's a life-changing experience, man. Yes. When one of those animals comes up to you, des- decides that they will allow you to <laughs> right. interact with them. Because anybody who thinks, like, you're in charge, nah. Yeah. nah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, when they, when you feel, um, when you feel that, you get to have yeah. that experience. And plus you're feeling, this is a wild animal. You know? yeah. Even the ones that are hybrids and everything. Um, my ex-girlfriend, uh, we're still really good friends, but um, she has two wolf hybrids. Nice. And even them, like you know, part of them is still a wild animal. Yeah. So, so I always wanted to do something to give back. So we created these T-shirts, um, and 100% of the proceeds of those shirts goes to uh, Wolf Rescue. Nice. And it's been it's a it's kind of a touchy subject now because you know there's the when uh, when Biden came into office, he promised he was going to stop the wolf hunts and some of that stuff, and then he turned around, even though all the experts were telling him to do it. He decided not to do it and, and go back on some of that stuff. So, um, the pro, it's just it's a it's a difficult thing. If you if you're if anybody's interested in it, I would tell them to look. There's a great video about how they reintroduced wolves into Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. And how everyone's like, oh, well, they're going to kill all the animals. And it actually talks about how, by reintroducing the wolves, it reinvigorated the entire environment yeah. of Yellowstone. From down to the rivers, down to the fact that they controlled the population of the animals and that stopped the erosion of the rivers and like how it all is supposed to work. And um, so, yeah, so we have these shirts that we sell and to try to raise awareness about wolf uh wolf rehabilitation stopping the hunt um and just you know letting people know that they can do something they can actually you know wear one of these shirts and 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 raise awareness and raise some money for them so we've been doing it now for about six months raised some money you know you can never raise enough right it's always it's always like we can do more we can do more you know yeah so we're gonna start doing uh 
we're going to start doing some conventions here uh, in January. So I'm hoping I'll be able to bring some of those and really get even more people to take a look at it and sell nice. a few shirts, help a few wolves. I so. definitely want some of uh, both <clears throat> because of what it is, because it has the wolf and I'm huge on wolf imagery. And also, much like you, I come from the Viking heritage um as far as as far as we've traveled back or as far as we've managed to travel back through our genealogy thing um we have traced our family from michigan into canada uh from canada to northern england into ireland and originally from norway um oh really so where in ireland do you know uh I do know, and I can't think, I I can't, I do know, and I I can never remember the, it starts with a C, it's like, come, I have it on my computer, I, I can, I can tell you in an email. Isn't it it fun to, like, learn about all that? I mean, I love it. It's so crazy, like, um, I, being Mormon, essentially, or being a member of that church, um, Mm -hmm good or bad whether you like it or not Uh, (laughs) i'm a horrible mormon but uh (laughs) one of the things that comes with it is they have one of the world's largest genealogy things and what i knew before and what i knew after being able to access their stuff Mm -hmm. is mind-boggling like holy crap like yeah. I my had aunt like, was a my aunt was a Mormon genealogist. I'm oh, Mormon nice. She was. Oh, yeah. So, so I get, I understand like the massive amounts of yeah. information. Um, I've been to some of the the centers where nice. you actually sit down. Because my mother was, she isn't anymore, but she was a private investigator, and okay. what she would specialize in is people who had adopted, uh, who had been adopted. So okay. her specialty was finding people's families, and she would use the Mormon genealogy connections that she had to help find them. So, yeah, you're right. It's this massive, it's the salt caves in Utah. Isn't that like the secret conspiracy that that's what they have? Yeah. Because, you know, before I had like, I think five or six generations that we knew. After access to that, I think we've gone back 11 or 12 generations um, now. So we're... Keep digging, man. Yeah, like we're... (laughs) We're at this point right now, we're roughly into the 1300s um, is how far back we've gone. And um, yeah. we want to go back further, obviously, but we've yeah. gotten ours back to almost. Um, so the kings, the kings of Kvenland, have you ever heard of them? So Kvenland was the legendary country, quote unquote country that was before Scandinavia. Okay. So you're talking back like the year like 500, 600. And we can actually trace our family tree so far back that there's a point where it stops being real people and okay. it starts being let and starts being legends. Oh, okay. So that's cool. So that's crazy. So I'm descended according to the, the paperwork. I'm descended from the gods of the of winter. Okay. So so the god of snow, snare and all of those cuz cuz you may know that they used to, that's how they yeah. would claim their power. They're right. like, well, my father was Thor. My, you know, right. they're like, ooh, you know, so it's pretty crazy. But I look at it as, so I'm, 
I'm not Mormon. Right. I'm 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 an atheist and I'm and I'm open about that. That's fine. I'm not as I'm not as angry as I used to be. I'm not the angry atheist. <laughs> right. But, but I look at it as almost not family worship but family respect. Mm-hmm. I look at it as these generations of people and now I can actually see their names and mm-hmm. I can read their stories. Right. And I go these people made sacrifices just so I can be here on this planet. I mean, they've died. They've had gone to war. They've gone pillaging. They've been killed. They've they've yeah. sacrificed all of these things, just so I can talk on my podcast or make a movie or or sell wolf shirts or do whatever these adventures that mm-hmm. I do. Who am I to sit on my ass and not take full advantage of the life that I have after all of these sacrifices? Going back, literally, I've traced them back over a thousand years. So that's. They carry value for me. They really, really do. So, you know, I know, I know. There's a the genealogy. Many people do it for fun, or they mm-hmm. do it for other reasons. For me, it literally is like I'm serving the the memory of these people. Yeah. You know, I really value what they've done on a daily basis. So when I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh man, I'm going to be lazy today. It's like, well, my great 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 grandfather went out. And hunted pigs in order to feed his family. <laughs> right. Who the fuck am I to sit in front of TV and watch Netflix today? Right. You know, <laughs> even though Red Notice is on. Yeah. But it's, it's like, I don't, what am I going to do? I don't have 100% confirmation. My aunt has told me, because she does a lot of the, a lot of the stuff, like the, mm-hmm. the deeper stuff. I have heard from her that somehow we're supposed to be among the same lineage as Eric the Red. I don't okay. know exactly how or where at what point, but I do know she has said that somehow we are on the family tree with Eric the Red. Um, okay. So that's kind of where my family essentially yeah. evolves from is that lineage. And I'm not sure, you know, what the whole... <laughs> myths and legends and all of that uh, with it is yeah, other than yeah because it gets tough yeah. because it's like a lot of people will claim and I'm not saying that no. you are not, no, not, no, no, not right. at all but because that's the whole you know it's like oh well like there's a whole so supposedly supposedly I'm descended from what's called the Yingling dynasty okay and yep. the Yingling dynasty was a very famous dynasty that the the king of uh, the king of Norway claims to be descended from and various other people right. claim up, but there is a, a school of thought that says all of that was not real. It was done in order to claim power. Okay, you know, so so it's like, okay, well, do you believe the legends? Do you believe the paper? Plus, a lot of it is handed down orally, and right. that wasn't really written down until you know the, the and that yeah, and that's the other thing is yeah, and I've seen I've seen family I've seen multiple versions of my family tree. You, is, right. Once you get back to a certain point, it's like, okay, well, which one do you want to believe? Yeah. And which one do you which one can you actually fight for? And I'm lucky because my tree goes my tree goes back um like so we're in the Domesday book and 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 these other re- heavily researched things that I can crib from. And, you know, right. other people might not have that. So I've been lucky in that way that somebody, you know, the royal biographer did a lot of the work for me and I when I once we found the connection, it's like, oh, well there it is. You know, we're related to William of Normandy. We're related right. to know another one um this is what you'll find this funny um so my family's descended from the wycliffe family as in the wycliffe bible okay 
And because I'm an because I'm an atheist, I find that hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and I always make so my family has had a lot of strange things have happened to it. Right. We've had a lot of strange knock on wood. My people in my family don't normally die of old age; they normally die of some wacky accident. Uh-huh. And I always joke, "Well, it's the Wycliffe curse." And my mother does not find that amusing whatsoever. Yeah. But but it's like so we have the you know the Wycliffe Bible. Um, I'm also descended from um, uh, uh, Maid Marian, the 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 father of the per, the woman that Maid Marian was based on, Robert mm-hmm. Fitzwalter, is one of my ancestors. So I, at one point I had a charity called the Mar- Marian Foundation, who was named after her and worked with women, and, and it was you know a way to pay homage to my family tree. Like I said, it's like these people did shit so I could be here. I got to take advantage of it. Yeah. So I love it. I, I really enjoy it and learning about it. I'm a history buff, so. Yeah, I do. Um, I know at one time, and I don't think it's true. I've, I'm very, very highly skeptical of it uh, personally. Um, one of my distant family members emailed me with certain documents and supposedly while when the whole uh, Norway to Ireland thing happened um, there was interaction with the um, Baru clan and I I'm a huge fan of Brian Baru the whole story involved with him in I, I when I seen the documents, I was like, okay, I won't take this one with a real grain of salt because so much of the stuff that surrounds Brian's story has been orally handed down and not really, yeah. not so it didn't really survive a lot. Um, so it's really kind of one of them things you have to be really skeptical of, mainly because I haven't seen. I haven't seen any definitive proof per se, other than what she said. And even what she said to me just appeared to be way too modern looking for anything that would come from that legacy. Like if, if you know anything about Brian Baru and the whole dynasty that involved him in the high King of or high King of Ireland and all of that, it's, very, very unlikely <laughs> that something of any quality survived the devastation and all of that that surrounded him. Um, so while I would sit here and say, God, I hope it's true, <laughs> and I would love it, to it have... It doesn't change anything. I mean, it doesn't what, change who you are. We're right. And I would love to have like one of these 23andMe DNA tests or something that come back and be like, you're a descendant of Brian Baruch, because then I would be like, fuck yeah. Um, we took those. My mom took one of those. It was funny because she has maintained in my family that we're part... My entire life was like, you are part... Uh, she. She she said there's a story that's always gone around her family that we're part Cherokee. Okay. And it's because she has like my mother has this like a look of she, like she gets she has facial features that like if you if you didn't know her heritage you actually could look at her and be like you look a little Native American. Mm-hmm. So there was always this story, and she took the she did the DNA test 
and it was like you are 90% Norwegian and like 10% German it was like that and she's like there's no no way she's like no but they always told us you know but, well, yeah. but it doesn't change who you are like yeah, if exactly. you're I'm Norwegian if I found out tomorrow that I'm not related to all of the these the Viking kings and whatever right. it doesn't change my culture it doesn't exactly. change who I am and that's you know? a, but there's a part of that yeah there's there's a part of that. So you know the the Vez the Vashir, Vezvagir, right? Uh-huh. It's the the the, the helm of awe. Mm-hmm. You see it with the spikes. It's the Viking compass. Mm-hmm. So I use I use it in my um, as one of the symbols of my company of Viking Dog Entertainment. Right. And there's a whole thing about it is like people are like oh well this is an ancient Viking symbol and it means this it's mystical and whatever. But there's a whole school of thought who says. No, it was created in the 1800s by this guy who wrote a book and thought it was really cool looking and made it. And it's like, okay, but at a certain point it does, I don't believe it's mystical. I don't believe it's a freaking thing. But it does hold power to you because there is a cultural aspect to it. It's it's not any different than the Viking helmet, the the horns on the helmet now. We know they never wore them. We know as Wagner came up with it. But you you take it as yours. It's, it's, It's... it's ours now. You can't take that away from me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and um, the other thing is, too, is, you know, the Vol- the Viking thing has been much like anything, you know, when Hollywood gets a hold of it, when movies get a hold of it, when books get a hold of it, obviously, is blah, 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 blah. Um, and now with the modern movement of paganism and heathenism and all of these people good or bad, um, such as Varg Vilkins, who I wish would just shut the fuck up. (laughs) Um, You know, the whole trying to, I guess not revive it, but, you know, just trying to keep it in the the modern eye. That, you know, you, you, you have to understand that the people that associate Vikings with this white, blonde-haired, perfect type of... Um, the people who associate the Viking image with Larthral Ragrock, you know, that really wasn't the epitome of what all Vikings were, you know? Right. And it, it's annoying when people talk to you about Vikings and think that just because you're white and you have blonde hair... That, oh, well, you must be from that area. No, not all Vikings had blonde hair. Not all Vikings were big and strong. Not all Vikings were white, even, you know? (laughs) And people, it's, whether it's it's lack of knowledge or whatever. It's a verb. It it started as a verb. Let's go Viking. Like, let's, you know, and people don't realize that. They think of you know, and Mark Hall Patton and I talked about this a little bit. You know, I'm like, I, I kind of joked. I'm like, yeah, there is Viking culture, even though people don't tell me. He's like, yeah, there is. There definitely is, but it's not a culture like, right. you know, fr- French or French culture. Yeah. You know, it's it's Scandinavian culture, and just part of that culture right. was going a Viking, going out and, and doing the hunt. Um, yeah, I get really upset by people who try to take that especially the yeah. white the white nationalists and that yeah stuff take this the, the whole the whole gatekeeping that. thing is just yeah. 
Uh, there was a guy. There was a guy in Ohio mm-hmm. who, during the BLM, um, I don't know if you remember this, during the BLM um, protests, okay, he he went by the name the Angry Viking, and he had a hat that had it embroidered on it, and the okay. news picked up on it, and he uh, started going around, I'm the Angry Viking, I'm the Angry Viking. I'm like, okay, hold on a second. I've been going by that name for over a decade. <laughs> and um, it's my trademark. It's not right. registered, but it's still my trademark, and it doesn't matter. Right. Um, so I actually reached out, and I said, you need to stop. Yeah. And and I was getting emails from, uh, from people who thought I was him. Yeah. And they were they were saying, we, we're praying for you. Where can we send money? We want, we support what you're doing. And he was out there like at these protests, like, like talking about like, we have to support the white way of life, and, right. you know, damn all the black people and all this. And he was really, really crude. He would have been, he would have been there for January 6th if he, if he had the, had yeah. the chance. But I eventually was so sick of getting it. I turned my website, theangryviking.com, mm-hmm. into a BLM donation website. So everybody. <laughs> nice. Everybody who was trying to look for him would hit my website, and uh, he disappeared. Although I did see him on one interview a couple weeks after I reached out, and he had blacked out the angry Viking thing nice. on, his, on his hat, and he did not go by that name anymore. Nice. Um, so it's stuff like that. It really, it really, you know, I, you're taking my culture in quotes, right. and you're trying to co-opt it for something else full yeah. of hate. And, and that's and the thing. I, was, like, I used to joke that we were the mo- the Vikings were the the least prejudiced people on yes. the planet. We'd fucking kill or rape anyone. We didn't. We, right. We didn't care. <laughs> the Vikings were never. The Vikings were never racist. They hated everyone equally. <laughs> exactly. We'll take your. We'll take your, your uh, gold. We don't care what you do. It's funny. I I did an interview last night with uh, a lady, and um, she is from Northern California. She's a um, marijuana advocate. She's an expert on marijuana and legalization, and uh, her name is Brett Kavanaugh. And I had to ask her, like, <laughs> how much shit did you catch during wow. the confirmation things? And she's like, "Oh man, she's like, let me tell you a story." Apparently, she she works a lot with a uh, with a news reporter from the L.A. Times, and when she first contacted her. She she wanted to interview her, and she she wrote her blah, blah, blah. when the woman seen the name, she said I got back the nastiest reply because she thought I was Brett Kavanaugh. She's like, and I had to explain to her I just had the unfortunate displeasure of having the same name, and it, everything got worked out, and they're friends now. But again, it's funny because that you know it can happen of just oh it does. You yeah. know there's a conservative commentator named Eric Erickson, right? No. There's I a don't, conservative I commentator. Don't... He is a, a red he for a long he is very very conservative. He has a large following. Um and I get I get his hate mail. Oh nice. I get his hate mail all the time. And I finally like I, I finally reached I used to send it to him and we actually <laughs> went back and forth a couple times, but um, every once in a while, I get an email. They're like, "I heard you on this radio show. You're what's wrong with this company or this country?" And da da da. da. I'm like trying to remember, like, what did I do? What did right. I say? And then I realize, I'm like, "Oh, you're talking about him." Yeah. I have long stood politically. Everyone who knows me knows this. My political views are very simple. 
I don't care what you do or who you do it with. Don't do it on my lawn and don't spend my money to do it. That's my political views. Other than that, I don't, I don't care. Like, <laughs> call me a libertarian or whatever. I'm right leaning on some things. I'm very left leaning on other yeah. things. But mostly, I live by the belief that I don't care what you do. Just don't annoy me with it. Like, yeah. I don't give a shit. I, like, I don't. Like, I don't have time. I'm I got, a bit more. I'm a bit more. Uh, controversial than you on that not controversial <laughs> i, I can be very controversial i enjoy the conversations i enjoy so like yeah. on my show i will de- so part of the show like i said was i wanted i felt stagnant mm-hmm. you know and part of that was i mean covid covid fucked with me brother it oh. like really you know it really messed with me yeah and and because I, I had come out of a divorce and I was still kind of coming out of that. <laughs> I'm and going through that right I'm now. Locked in the house, <laughs> you know. Suddenly, I'm locked in the house with nobody to talk to. And I thought about it, and I realized the only person I talked to on a regular basis was the clerk at the grocery store <laughs> during during the lockdown. Nice. And then I thought about it some more, and I'm like, wait a second. If I don't leave the house, I go to the grocery store once a week. Yeah. And I'm not talking to anybody else. I'm I'm not talking. I'm literally, my mouth is not even opening. I am not speaking. So I realized there are days that went by when I wouldn't even utter a word. Yeah. Because there was nobody to talk to. Tell everyone where do they find you, where do they find the podcast, your amazing books, you have some really great books, uh, movies, all that kind of fun stuff. Where do they find you and all the stuff about you? I, I would go to Instagram. The Angry Viking on Instagram, that's kind of the best place to start. I like Instagram because it's calmer. It's not an arguing ground. It's nice. all about photos and stuff. Uh, the Viking Dog You can find. You can get our wolf shirts. You can find other yes. apparel that we do. You can find my books. Uh, Viking Dog also has other authors that we're starting to publish. So you, that's kind of a great center. Uh, the Open Highway. We are wherever you go for your podcast: Spotify, yes. Apple, FM, iHeartRadio. We're we're all across the board. Check it out. Um, yeah, yeah. This has been fun, man. Awesome. Um, So we're going to wrap this up before the audio cuts out on us again. This is Eric John Erickson. I'm the music guy, CJ Blaine. We're going to wrap this up, and we're going to call it a day. Be well. Treat each other with kindness. Smiles go a long ways, you know, and basically don't go out of the world being a dick. Oh, what the hell?